This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg And he based this essay on the verse of Amos that charity is like a mighty river. And he explains Eisan. Eisan means it's strong, it's, 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 it's tough, and it's ancient. And this refers to, he said, on the soul level, this refers to the the level, the highest level of wisdom, of a deeper knowledge, an experiential type of knowledge. And this is the point versus the palace, which is the analytical mind that articulates an idea and a concept into words fleshes it out, engineers the concept, versus the point, the point, this is something that stirs inside of you, something that comes from your deepest depth, from your subconscious, it's something that you experience as knowledge that's ancient, that's so deep that when you discover it, it's very satisfying. It's like a revelation. It's like something reveals itself. A truth, a reality that was always there, but it just emerges. And it's deeply satisfying, and it resonates, and it rings true. And it's, 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 it's not something that comes from an ego, rational mind. It comes from a much deeper place. The Hegel, the palace, that's the ego, rational mind. I am in charge. I am in control. I define it, I understand it, I, I, I'm on top of it, versus this deep knowledge, soul-stirring type of knowledge. It's almost like a gut knowledge. It's, it's something that comes from an from, uh, egoless place. It comes from removing your ego and just allowing that deep truth, that ancient truth to emerge. And when you know it, it's, you feel as if you've always known it. It's so real and it's so substantial and so solid and it's so emis, unbudging, unyielding, unvibrant, vigorous, and strong and tough, unmovable, because it's truth. Truth is unyielding. You know, the level, the logical level, I can argue, I can this way, I can argue the other way, I can, as the as Talmud says, you can, you can purify something that's impure with 150 reasons. You can come up with brilliant, twisted logic, I can justify and rationalize anything. Words are cheap, and I can make this construct and make that construct, but it rings hollow, it doesn't have the ring of truth. When you hear truth, you jump up, it, has a, it resonates, it's real, it's, 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 it's solid. It's, it's, it's. And the challenge is to merge the two, the point in the palace. Even though they can be totally separate, the creative brain doesn't logically lead to the analytical brain. They could be completely separate and apart. You can have people who are brilliantly creative but don't have a logical bone in their body. They're dreamers, they're artists, they're creative geniuses, but they have no sense, no commercial sense or no sense of the value of what they've created or how to implement it or how to 
they just get off on the creativity and seeing something new and they're and that's where it ends for them that's where the journey ends they move on to the next thing then you can have the analytical mind that doesn't have a creative bone in their body but when they hear an idea someone else's idea or they can engineer it they can flush it out they can develop it they can go to town with it they can it's two, two different worlds it's not like the world of intellect and the world of emotion. One logically leads to the next. When you understand something, you understand something well, it leads to excitement. First you get excited, intellectual excitement, but it's really the emotional. It's like the intellect is pregnant with a child. It's the emotional within the intellect. You feel excited and you hear an unbelievable, when you finally grasp an unbelievable idea, concept, you're like excited. It's a wonderful idea. It's an unbelievable idea. And you, you, you feel emotionally, but it's not, it's not felt in the heart. It's more like an intellectual excitement. The teacher is all excited. He's conveying an idea. It's so, so exciting. It's, a, it's an excitement that that idea is wonderful, which naturally leads to the birth. The child emerges out of the womb, the mother's womb, and then it becomes a self-independent, full-fledged child. That means that the emotion becomes a full-fledged, a full-blown emotion in the heart, that you're excited because it's good for me. You personalize it. That's the nature of the heart. Love is I love. I am attracted. I hate. I'm terrified. I'm afraid. It's all how I relate to things outside of me. So emotions is personal. Not that the idea is exciting. I'm excited. It's exciting for me. It's good for me. So this is already a full-blown emotion. So intellect contains emotions and intellect logically leads to emotion. But the wisdom and the and the uh, the chachma and the bina, the wisdom and the understanding, the right brain and the left brain, the two don't have to do anything with each other. They can be totally apart. One doesn't follow the next. But the challenge is, the ideal is, when the two brains become merged, when the point is in the palace, when the foundation is that experience, that egolessness, that ability to step back and that ability to um, allow that revelation and communique from the subconscious. And then you can bring it into words. So the words, you have the, world, you have the level of logic and words, but these are words that are alive. These are words that are they're inseparable from the experience. And he says that all of creation and the divine level, these two the levels of Chachma and Bina are called the two friends that never part, are inseparable. The two buddies that are inseparable. Because in order for creation, creation is divine, creation is from Chachma. On the other hand, creation is through words. Hashem creates the world through words. Everything is broken down into words. Everything is defined. Everything has its own name. Everything has its own characteristic. Everything has its own divine energy. But it's the combination. It's the fact that they're inseparable from each other. So you have the divinity, the divine, the godly. that's really beyond words. But it's inseparable and merges with the words. Okay, that's where we left off. So that's the level of Asun. And now he's going to say that Asun, the letters Asun, Aleph, Yud, Taf, Nun, are the letters, are the first letters that you use if you want to say something in the future tense, in the Hebrew language. So you use the letters Aleph, Yud, Taf, and Nun. That I will do, Efal, I will do. Yifal, he will do. Tifal, you should do. Nifal, it will, we, we should do. So it's all, these are the first letters that you use when you want to say in the future tense. So Asan is saying, the fact that these letters are the first letters whenever you want to switch to the future tense, what this, this is telling us in a deeper level, at this level of Asan, this level of the Neshama, will only truly be revealed in the future tense. Mashiach comes. 
that's what distinguishes today from Mashiach. Mashiach is not just a, uh, a plane ride to the land of Israel. I'm sure we can all afford the $1,000 ticket or whatever it is. Mashiach is a different journey. It's a journey from the inside of the heart to the, from the subconscious to the conscious. It's, it's in the future, this deep down level of knowledge, this deep down level of truth, of faith, this ancient, unyielding, tough, and vigorous and vibrant level of knowing and experiencing truth and reality, this level of egolessness, this will emerge and surface. This will be the predominant and the prevailing level that we'll all be living at. Asa, this level of the neshama will completely emerge and surface. And this will be our level that we live on, we live with. It won't just be faith, it will be a living, breathing reality. We'll live it, we'll experience it, we'll feel it, we'll, we'll know it with every fiber of our being, every bone in our body. It'll be dynamic, it'll be vibrant. Our faith, our relationship to Hashem, our connection to Hashem, that truth will be so vibrant, will be so alive for us. But this is Esau, this will happen in the future. This is not what we experience today. Today we live in this, in this bubble, we live in this world of words, of logic if we're lucky. So much of the world is so illogical. But this is, this is we're confined. Is the world of ego. That's the world that we live in. That's our conscious world. That's our whole world. That's our whole universe. Our whole universe is made up of words and concepts and numbers and ideas. But to go beyond that, to be able to access a world that's beyond words, and to draw that in into the world of words, to draw that experience, to access that level, that depth, and to be able to articulate that level into words, to draw that out, that that should become our conscious level of reality, that we should be able to articulate it and describe it and live it and discuss it and bring it into words, this will happen when Mashiach comes. This is not the level that we are at right now. Most people, when you describe this, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> They've never experienced it. At least not deliberately and consciously. We all have this inside of us. We all have this very deep down level of knowledge, of truth. And another thing you can say about it, it's actually once, you, uh, once it emerges or once it services, it's so simple. You know, the deepest truths are so simple. The biggest geniuses are able to talk in simple words. It's so crystal clear. The world's classics were written on a ninth grade level, including the Bible. It's articulate, it's clear. Whenever you encounter some highfalutin language, no one knows what you're talking about because the author himself has no clue what he's talking about. It's so highfalutin and so complex and he has to use fancy language that you have to use three dictionaries just to figure out what he's writing, what he's trying to say. Because he himself really has no idea what he's talking about. Someone who really, really gets to the core and essence of the matter, really experiences the truth, the deepest truth, you can say it in the simplest language. This is the genius of Rashi. The rabbi, Yisrael, the rabbi, the chief rabbi of all the Jewish people. As his grandson, Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Natam, wrote, that he said, a commentary on the Talmud, I can compete with my grandfather. And he's one of the main Balitaisus. But a commentary on the Torah, I can't compete with my grandfather. To be able to explain to a five-year-old child, to bring the truth down to a five-year-old child, this is, I can't do that. It's not simple. <laughs> to be simple is not simple at all. <laughs> That's why the Baal Tov loved the simple Jew. And this was the revolution of the Baal Shem Tov. He was able to take the deepest, most esoteric concepts of the Torah 
and explain it to the simplest Jew in his language, in the simplest language. Because he was the Baal Shem, the master. And that's why it was a taste of Mashiach. This is a taste of Mashiach. When the faith, when Yiddishkeit, the Neshama becomes so alive and so real, experiential, you can put it into words. And that's what the Alter Rebbe did. The Alter Rebbe called himself the grandchild of the Baal Shem was able to articulate the inarticulate. He was able to bring into Chabad, he was able to bring into words, into language, the experience of the neshama, an experience of egolessness, an experience that's truly beyond language. The dot in the palace, to merge the two. But when will this, this is a taste of Mashiach, but when will this be fully, fully, full-fledged, this will emerge full-fledged this, for all of us. When we'll all be on this level, and this will be the, the starting point. This will be on the level that we'll all be at, and we'll all be living on this level. This is Mashiach. A son, letters that in the, indicate the future. In the future, we will all access this level and be living on this level. Letters that spell the Hebrew world eight times each indicate the future tense. At a deeper level, this term does hint at future revelation. In the time to come, there will be a revelation of the spiritual degree called Eitan. This means I am destined to reveal myself. That which is presently in a state of concealment is destined to be manifest in the time to come. Like Maimonides says, Olam Haba, the future doesn't mean it's not here now. It's here, but it's, it, it, it will emerge in the future. It's there. This level of Eitan is there. It's our truth today. That's why my man that he says Mashiach will be the most natural thing in the world. Because that level of faith, that level of knowledge, that level of truth, that level of experience, this is, it's there. Now. Within each and every one of us. This is our true core and essence. This is our truth. But we can't access it. We don't experience it. We don't sense it. And that's why it refers the, to the Ovis. Maskele Eisen Hazrachi. To Hillel. David Amela says, Maskele Eisen. Eisen refers to the, the patriarchs who referred to Eisen. Because they were like solid. They were like the, Gibraltar, the rock of Gibraltar of the Jewish people. The cornerstone, the foundation. But Eisen. So they, the Ovis, the, the patriarchs, and the matriarchs, they lived on this level they were a taste of the future and we all inherited from them so we have this within us it's just not on a conscious level and that's why none of this is foreign to us this is very close to us this is very near and dear to us it's in the future so why is it relevant for me now this is going to say no because it doesn't mean in the future this is it's my future this is what I have today it's just, I can't access it now, or I don't have the tools which should access it now, or I don't have the capacity to access it now, but it's there. The potential is there. Every one of us has this potential. Some people can access it now. Some, words, yeah, that's, well, that's what he's going to discuss. This whole essay is to tell us how we could access it now. Every one of us has the ability to access it now. He's going to give us advice how we could access it now. But the fact that we could access it now is only because it's there now. This is our truth. It's just very deep down. It's so deep. Most people don't, don't even know they have a subconscious. They don't, they don't even know what you're talking about. We live such, on a, such a superficial level. We live on the surface. We're skimming the surface of the surface. It's like skin deep. Society celebrates a life that's skin deep. So you're skimming the surface of the surface. The tip of the tip of the iceberg, but there's so much depth. There's so much reality that's there now. And we can get a taste of it. Mashiach will come, it will emerge full-fledged, and it will be easily accessible. But even today, even though it's very difficult, but it's possible. That's what he's going to. That's the thrust of the of this essay. 
This means I am destined to reveal myself. That which is presently in a state of concealment is destined to become manifest in the time to come. As it's written, Behold, my servant will prosper in the future. So Yaskil also refers to the level of, Yaskil refers to the level of Chachma. This level of Esan. This deep experiential type of knowledge. Which is all encompassing. Which is experiential which is not just intellectual, but it's, almost, it's also physical. You feel it. You jump up. When you experience that revelation, that knowledge, it feels so ancient, so real, as if I've always known it. Like once it reveals itself, you jump up. Wow, it's so real, of course. I knew that. I always knew that. In my guts. And now I feel it and I experience it. So this is the level of Yaskel. And that's how he refers to Mashiach will come. Mashiach will come, Yaskel Avdi. We'll all be in that level. Yaskel Avdi, my servant, refers to Mashiach. Mashiach, Yaskel, will be the level of Yaskel. Haskal. And he, he explains, he, what does that mean? This means? So this means that at the time with the arrival of Mashiach, about whom the verse states, my servant will prosper. The infinite aim, so flight, and the divine unity will be revealed within the innermost point of one's heart by the calling forth of the mighty river, which is a radiance of the supernal wisdom that will illuminate the inwardness of the heart, so that one will be nullified utterly in the divine unity from the depths of one's heart. So he says, not only the level of wisdom that he's discussing here, which is the higher level of wisdom, not just the regular intuition. You know, a person is intuitive, so you have a sense. This is a deeper level of Chachma. It's a level of Chachma where there's no separation between the Chachma and the heart. The external level of Chachma, there's a division. There's the brain. You experience it as an idea, as a concept, which is limited to the brain. And the heart is a different world. The inner, the deeper level of Chachma, which is the level of Eisen, the level that is referring to Yaskil, this is an all-encompassing type of knowledge. It's not limited just to the, to the intellect. You experience it in the deepest depth of the heart. And as Alter Rebbe says elsewhere, he calls it Talumis Lev. It's the deepest part of the heart on a level where there's no separation between the, the mind and the heart. And we, we saw that by the Rebbe. The Rebbe would speak the deepest ideas, and he would start crying. He would like to start crying, and the more he cried, the deeper he spoke, and the deeper he spoke, the more he cried. There was absolutely no separation. It was like seamless. It was completely natural. It wasn't like the, the, the idea that he was discussing and the heart were, were, were like one. The crying wasn't an external, superficial type of cry. It was, it was like from the depth of his being. And the idea that he was discussing was also from the depth of his being. It wasn't just a nice concept, a nice mental construct. It was real. He was describing something that was real, something that was happening inside of him. And you're describing in words, but you're describing something that's beyond words, something that's so overwhelming that you just burst out crying because it, it, it's, you can't even put it into words, and yet you're putting it into words. You're describing something real that's going on inside of you. That's what he says, something that's ancient, something that's something that's real inside of you and you're trying to describe something that's infinite. But it's not something that's infinite out there in the universe. You're describing something that you're experiencing inside of you, something that is beyond words. I can't put it into words. I can't easily classify it. When you deal with superficial feelings, I love, I hate, I'm jealous, I'm angry, I like, I don't like, you, you, it's easily put into words because you're describing emotions that are very superficial and very external. But when you're trying to describe something, it's really beyond words. You just feel something inside that's so almost infinite, undefined. I, I don't have the words for it. I, I feel it, but it's nothing that I'm familiar with. 
I, I don't, I can't put it into words. And you have to get your ego out of the way and you listen and you allow that experience to describe itself. And it comes up with it. The words just flow and emerge. And those words are not just brilliant because the solutions that you come up with, you, can never, you would never figure it out in a million years. But also it's emotional. But not superficial emotions. The deepest type of emotion. You know, this last Shabbos, Parshas Vayera, we just celebrated yesterday, was the birthday of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dober. And the 157th birthday. And um, his mother took him in to receive a blessing to his grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandchild of the, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was four years old or five years old at the time because uh, the Rebbe, the Samad Tzedek, passed away when he was five. So this was either the last year of his life or the year before that. And the little boy, Rav Shalom the Rebbe Roshav, burst out crying. And his grandfather, the Rebbe, asked him, why are you crying? He says, well, I read in the parsha, Vayera Elav Hashem, Vayera Elav Hashem, that Hashem appeared to Avram. He says, it's not fear. God appeared to Avram, it's not fear. Why doesn't he appear to me? And he burst out crying. It bothered him so much that he was sobbing. A four-year-old was sobbing and crying why Hashem is not, doesn't appear to him wasn't crying for a candy, he wasn't crying for, he was crying, it, it, he burst out crying, it bothered him so much that he couldn't contain himself, that he was crushed, he was devastated. Why Hashem is not appearing to him? It's not fear, Hashem doesn't appear to him. This is a level that comes from the inner, innermost part of the heart when you're so overwhelmed that something stirs so deep inside of you that you just burst out crying. You know, it's, it's a bodily expression. It's not just an intellectual idea. You don't start crying from an intellectual idea. Crying means that you're overwhelmed. You're experiencing something. And it's so overwhelming that it expresses itself physically. You're physically crying. It's your heart. It's your mind. They, they, they've merged. It's seamless. It's, it's, it's all-encompassing. There's no separation. There's no division between the heart and the mind. This is the innermost part of the heart. This can only come from the highest level of Chacham. We're... You're completely egoless. You're grappling with something that you're experiencing, something very deep down inside. It's not just in your brain. It's not just in your heart. In your kishkis. It's bodily. It's physical. It's emotional. It's mental. It's psychological. It's spiritual. It's all of it. It's undefined. It's infinite. It's not easily put into words. It's beyond words. You're dealing with something real. This is a, a source. This is a fountain. This is a, where words come from. This is where life comes from. This is where change happens. This is where life is really happening. Everything that we are able to put into words are just the surface, almost like the tip of the iceberg. But the reality is that our neshama experiences everything, like, like the, the iceberg that we don't see like the subconscious that we're completely unaware of. So we live over here and we think that this is reality and we discuss it and discuss it endlessly and we articulate it and the more brilliant you are, the more you can articulate. But it's just the surface. And nothing changes. And there's zero change. Nothing shifts. 
It's all surface. You're never tapping into something real. Mashiach is going to change the world. Mashiach, we are going to change. Because Mashiach will come, we're going to tap into where change really happens. That whole universe that's inside of us now, that's bubbling, that's bursting with life, that's alive, that's so infinite and undefined and so real and dynamic, vigorous, strong, ancient, unyielding, unbudging, that part that we have no clue and we never access, that part will all emerge. We're all going to be living on that level. That's a level where there's no divisions, no artificial divisions, no separations, the brain, the heart. The separations in the brain and the heart is only on the surface, the external level of the intellect, the external level of the, of the heart. When your emotions are superficial, and are easily defined and put into words, which is the most superficial emotion, a conscious level of emotion, or a conscious level of, of an idea. It's all superficial. But once you tap into and access the subconscious, you're talking about a level of knowledge, of knowing, a level of feeling and experiencing that's so beyond the ordinary, that's so beyond what we deliberately and consciously access on a daily basis. And that's why we feel so stuck. That's why we're in exile. <laughs> that's why we're so stuck. With all our cleverness and all our awareness and all our knowledge, we're stuck and neutral. That would be good. <laughs> it feels like we're going backwards. Mashiach will come. We're going forward. We're moving. Suddenly, though, everything will shift. Everything will change. All that depth and all that goodness and all that truth will just burst out into the open and bubble to the surface. And we'll live on that level. We're going to live. No more superficial, no more surface. Everything will be genuinely and fully experienced and alive. And, and it's life on that level is dynamic and vibrant and constantly flowing and changing and, 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 and moving forward and... We have something to look forward to. It's like life now is like bland, like gray. It's like watching TV black and white. <laughs> or versus HD, high definition, full color. <laughs> this is alive, dazzling. Or it's... But this will be in the future. So on that level, the Chachmei law will illuminate the innermost part of the heart. There's no separation, there's no division. The separation and division, the mind and heart, is only on the surface level. But when you touch the Eisen, you're getting to the, to the hard core, you're getting to the, to the essence, you're getting to that depth. There's no super separation, there's no division. Every idea you feel in the deepest way and experience in the deepest way. And every experience that you feel, you have new language and new words and you can understand it with a whole new understanding. There's no separation. The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, yesterday was his birthday, so... He met Freud, actually, in Vienna. Freud was a nerve doctor before he, became, before he created psychotherapy. He had, uh, he had I think, some, some, some nerve issues, and they had very interesting conversations. And he told, uh, he told the fifth of Rebbe once, he says, you suffer from a very, very deep, a very deep problem. What's your problem? He says, your mind understands more than your heart could contain. Is it what Freud answered him? No, he was telling, yeah, he was telling the Rebbe Hashem. And your heart feels more than your mind could, 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 uh, could grasp, could contain. So he was at the deepest levels of the mind, the deepest levels of the heart. So the heart was... And the deepest levels of the heart, it was so overwhelming. It was, the feelings are so deep and so profound. 
said it's more than the mind can, can, can handle. And the mind understood things in such a, so deeply that it was more than the heart could contain. So by the Rebbe, there was no separation between the mind and the heart. Everything he understood, he, he lived on the deepest level, experienced on the deepest level. This is more than just regular emotions. You're talking about the deepest levels of the heart. We fully experience. And everything he experienced also led to a deep understanding. But he says, this will only be the prevailing level once Mashiach comes. What's going to happen? Why? How is it, why doesn't it happen today? What's stopping us today? Why only when Mashiach comes? After it has been cleared of the enduring horlock of physical lust and so on, when the metaphorical horlock will then be removed, and you shall excise the orla of your heart, and likewise, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Nothing will hide from innermost core of the of the heart. It will then be possible for the heart to experience the utter self nullification of the nashama to God that derives from the revelation of Hokma in the soul. This essential soul level reflects the all three above mentioned connotations of Eitan, the resolute uh, vigor of the soul's essence, its unswerving toughness, and the hoary antiquity of the bequest to the Jewish people from the patriarch of God. So Hashem says you should excise the arla of your heart, just like you have the physical, the circumcision. You circumcise the cover, and, um, and then you also have to, after you cut the, uh, the foreskin, then you have to reveal the, the thin covering. You have to re- uh, put aside and reveal. So there is the foreskin, and then you have a very thin covering. The membrane, the membrane, right, the membrane. Then you have to reveal the membrane. So before the giving of the Torah, you just had the mila, you just had the, uh, the foreskin. After the giving of the Torah, uh, circumcision, just circumcising the foreskin is not enough. If you don't uh, remove the membrane or re- and reveal, reveal uh, the ember, the, then you have not fulfilled the bris. So what this means on the spiritual level is the uh, foreskin represents things that are prohibited. When a person lusts for activities that are prohibited, when you lust for things that are not kosher, for activities that are not kosher, it's a foreskin. It, it, it covers up. It doesn't allow your neshama to emerge. But then you have the membrane, which is very thin, after you've already cut the foreskin, they still have the thin membrane, which you have to also remove and reveal uh, uh, the member. And, and what that represents is even kosher, even if you're strictly kosher, everything that you're doing is according to the Torah. But if you're doing, with, doing it with lust, you're doing it not for the sake of serving Hashem, there's no higher purpose. There's no godly purpose. You're just indulging. It could be glot kosher. I'm going on a glot kosher cruise. But it's all about indulgence. It's not about, there's no higher purpose. There's no, you're not thinking about Hashem. That also creates a certain clot, a certain blockage. that doesn't allow your neshama to truly emerge. So those are the two levels that the Torah says. It's up to us. Hashem says, just like you have to physically circumcise the, uh, the foreskin and the membrane, you have, you have to priya, so too, you also in a spiritual sense, it's up to us to circumcise, to discipline ourselves, and to circumcise the foreskin, to discipline ourselves not to indulge in anything that violates the Torah. And, and then... On a higher level, 
You have to be refined. You have to discipline yourself to be refined, not to live a life of indulgence. It could be glad kosher, but if you just live for yourself and just live for fun and just live to indulge, it, it's a blockage. It doesn't allow you to truly, truly live life and to live and to love and to connect and to experience Hashem. And then there's a third thing. Hashem says, when Mashiach will come, Hashem promises that He is going to circumcise our heart. It doesn't say He's going to circumcise the covering of the heart. Because that's up to us. We have to circumcise the covering of the heart, the blockages. Even if we've already removed the blockages of the heart, and even the membrane. But then there's something only Hashem can do. Hashem, it says, will circumcise our heart. Because even if a person is living according to the Torah, and they don't live a life of indulgence, studying Torah and doing mitzvah and doing everything that's right, kosher, glad kosher, everything is right. But still it's superficial, it's external. You're still not experiencing Hashem in the deepest way, in all, in all His depth. You're coasting, you're going through the motions. It's still surface, it's still superficial. We're limited. Not due to no fault of our own. That's how Hashem created us. That's the conscious level that we are operating with now. These are the tools that Hashem gave us. We can't access the subconscious as, as we speak, as of this moment. Mashiach hasn't come yet. Mashiach will come, Hashem says, I am going to circumcise your heart. The moment the Mashiach will come, it will be an act of Hashem. Hashem will circumcise the heart. The heart will open up. That's why it says, the Alter Rebbe says, we say in the Shema, you should place these words on your heart. Place these words, place my words, and the words of the Shema, and place the words of the Torah on your heart. What do you mean on top of your heart? Because now we learn a lot of information. We're learning Tanya, and we're learning information, and we know a lot, and we're learning a lot. But it's not, <laughs> it's not penetrating. <laughs> and, but it's the, we're doing the best that we can. We're learning, we're trying, we're sincere, we're learning and accumulating all this information, all this knowledge. So Hashem says, that's fine. Do the best that you can. These are the tools that I gave you. You're a baini. You're not a tzaddik. This is, this is what I... You're a potential baini. That's the maximum. I didn't give you any better. Place all these words on your heart. On top of your heart. Then when the moment comes, when that split second, when that moment comes, when Hashem circumcises our heart and opens our heart, everything that we've learned and everything that we study and everything that we know will suddenly, like a depth charge, will enter into the heart. And it'll explode. It's, wow. Oh, it'll come alive for us. Every bit of knowledge, every bit of information, everything that we learn and stuff. So, that, but that's not beyond our control. We can't do any better. And Hashem doesn't expect us to do something that we can't do. So Hashem says, right now, just your responsibility is to place these words on top of your heart. Then when Hashem will circumcise the heart, then we'll be able to live on this level that He's describing the level of the patriarchs, that this level that we all inherited from the patriarchs, this will emerge in its full glory and we're going to operate on that level and that's how we're going to experience our faith will be fully experiential and be dynamic and vibrant and alive and real and true. But we're all going to be in that. V'amech kulam tzadikim. When Mashiach comes, we're all going to be in that. But the question is, what about today? Is there anything we can do to at least get a taste of it, access it somehow? Is there anything we can do deliberately or consciously that could help us glimpse or access this level today? At Brennan's world, during the exile of this folk, Counsel is offered herewith as to how to bring a glimmer of the illumination of the light of Hashem from the state of Eitan into the innermost point of the heart, as in the time to come. This is attained by arousing the abounding divine mercies for the godly spark within one's soul. So he says, but the way to do this is, like the Rebbe Rashab was crying. It bothered. 
Why doesn't Hashem appear to me? What was bothering him? What was troubling him? He wanted to see Hashem. He wanted to experience Godliness. So you could be a religious Jew and you're doing everything that's right and your whole life is studying Torah and doing mitzvot and davening with a minion three times a day and doing everything that's right and fulfilling your obligations and your expectations. And but at the end of the day, does it bother you? that you can't see Hashem, that you can't experience Hashem. Yiddishkeit is flourishing today. You can eat Chinese kosher on Sunday and Korean kosher on Monday and Japanese kosher and Tuesday, Inglat kosher. And you can learn Torah online. And there's so much, so much available today. It's amazing. Jews never lived more comfortably. And yeshivas are flourishing and 5,000 Chabad houses all over the world. And it's all beautiful and it's all nice and it's all fine. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, we're not talking here about obligation, not obligation. Forget about your duties, forget about your obligations. You're doing what you have to do, fine, it's beautiful, we're going to give you a medal of honor. But at the end of the day, does it bother you that we can't see Hashem? Mashiach hasn't come, that godliness is not transparent, that truth is not self-evident, that reality is not so tangible and real, like the, the physical that we see with the naked eye. Why can't we see Hashem? Why isn't Hashem's reality as real and as tangible as the physical reality? which seems so natural and we take so for granted. We don't even question, we don't even think. So it doesn't trouble us, it doesn't bother us. We feel no Rachmanus for ourselves. We don't burst out crying that Hashem have Rachmanus on us. It's not fear. We want to see Hashem, we want to see Godliness. So this feeling of Rachmanus, this feeling of crying, sensing the lack, sensing that something is missing. You know, a sign of maturity is a person feels a little uncomfortable. <laughs> when babies start getting a toilet tray, <laughs> they feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a sign that the time they're growing up. So a Jew is living in exile. And he never once cried in his life. What do you want from my life? I'm doing what expe what's expected of me. I'm wonderful. I'm sure they're going to say wonderful things at, the, you know, at, his, at my funeral. <laughs> he did wonderful. He was a great guy. He was a great woman. He did this, that, or the other. What do you want from my life? What am I missing? I'm good. I should probably get a Medal of Honor also to be good in this, in this environment. It's <laughs> not simple. But you never once cried in your life. Nothing bothered you. Not because you're missing something. Not because some anti-Semite, some Cossack is coming after you and trying to kill you. This horrible tragedy that happened last Shabbat the worst incident in American history, which was an attack against all of us. Eleven Jews were attacked and murdered in cold blood for the crime of being Jewish. That hit home for every one of us. That was an attack on every one of us personally. But did you ever cry for something spiritual? The Arizal says... In the ten days of Teshuvah, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a Jew doesn't cry. His Nesham is not whole. How could, how could you? The ten days of Teshuvah. And nothing stirs your soul. Not crying because I murdered someone, I raped someone, and I'm a monster, and I did something horrible or terrible. Even the tzaddik, who's wholesome. 
But you don't burst out crying. Nothing breaks your heart. There's no Rachmanas on your Neshama. Is this as good as it gets? We're living in like in this bubble. It's so superficial. It's so external. It's so not real. What's real for the Nisham is I want to experience godliness. I want to see Hashem. That's Mashiach. That's reality. That's when we are truly going to live. Now, we can be doing everything right, but it's all mechanical, it's all superficial, it's all external. It's, we're not tapping into that asin, we're not tapping into that depth, to that truth, to that richness, to that vibrant, dynamic reality of Hashem, that faith that's so alive. And so in the times of exile, when there's such a darkness, spiritual darkness, stifling spiritual darkness, now you can cry more than ever. So if a Jew cries for the gullus, where's that coming from? Why are you crying? What's bothering you? What are you missing exactly? With the wealthiest generation of Jews that ever lived, King Solomon could only dream of the luxuries that's available to each and every one of us. To live like we lived today 200 years ago, you had to have uh, two, three hundred slaves and servants. <laughs> We're blessed beyond belief, materially speaking. The luxuries, how life is so easy for us. What are you crying? What are we crying exactly? We're crying for Mashiach. Well, what are you crying? What, what are you missing in your life? What's bothering you? What, what doesn't let you sleep at night? Because it's a Rachmanis. A Rachmanis now in a Shama. A Rachmanis and the stifling, spiritual, superficial reality and consciousness that we live in. So that alone could only come because you're intimating, you're sensing that level that level of Eson, that level of Mashiach, that level, that level of reality. If you wouldn't intimate that level, you wouldn't, you wouldn't burst out crying. It's like when you see a painting that's crooked. What are the chances you're going to make it more crooked? And it bothers you. What are the chances you're going to make it more crooked? <laughs> you're going to straighten it out. Because why does it bother you? If you didn't have a sense of the way things should be, it would never have bothered you. You wouldn't even know it's crooked. On the contrary, you would call it modern art. <laughs> it's only when you have a sense of the way things should be that it disturbs you. It's deeply disturbing and it bothers you. It's out of place. It's not wholesome. Something is wrong with this picture. Something is cockeyed. So the fact that you feel a Rachmanus, you feel Rachmanus because you feel, you sense something is off, something is wrong, something is not right. It, it just... So that alone is already a taste. In a certain level, you, you, you're in touch with that level of Esau. So that's the connection today. If a Jew is crying today, that means you're, you're in touch. Like the famous parable. The Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad Mizrich, the ear to the Valshemtiv, and he had one son, one child, one son, of Avram the angel. And when Avram was a little boy, he was playing hide-and-seek and with his friends, and he comes running into his father's study, and he's, and he's crying. His father says, well, what happened? He says, well, I was playing, I'm playing hide-and-seek with my friends, and they couldn't find me. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, well, isn't that the purpose of the game? You hid so well, they couldn't find you. He says, yeah, but they stopped looking for me. And he burst out crying. And the Maggid says, this is what his Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tev, meant. 
he interpreted it and says, Hashem says, hide, I will hide my face on that day. The Hashem to question the repetition, hide, I will hide. And he says, because the fact that Hashem is hidden is also hidden. So exile is intentional. Hashem is hiding because it's a game of hide and seek. Hashem is testing our wisdom. So when the child is wise and the child realizes that the father is hiding, he just wants us to look for him and search for him. And the moment we search for him, that's already the beginning of ex- that's the beginning of the redemption. Then he'll jump out of hiding and they'll hug and they'll re-embrace and with a more intense love than before. And the father is so proud, he has such a wise, wise child. But when the child is so foolish that he takes the exile and face value, and he stops looking, stops searching. This is as good as it gets. This is the best that it will ever be. Such a nadish a son, the father truly starts crying. That's the real exile. So how do we access this level today in exile? And especially in the deepest depth of the exile, the darkest moments of the exile, as we are today, especially with this horrible tragedy that just happened. So when a Jew is crying and a Jew feels the Rachmanes, and crying is very genuine. Crying comes from the depth of your soul. It's not something that's planned. Unless you work in Hollywood. You're a good actor, but crying is a moment of truth. You burst out crying. Something is really, really, you're overwhelmed internally. Something overwhelms you. You just... You just can't contain it. It's so overwhelming. You experience something so genuinely, you just burst out crying. So that means that you're in touch with this deep down level of the soul. This genuine level of the soul. This level of Esam. You sense Mashiach. You sense something real and it's bothering you. The lack of it is bothering you. The fact that we don't have it today. And the fact that we're not living on that level. And the fact that everything today is so superficial and so external. And we're just skimming the surface and skin deep. And Even if we're doing everything that's right. But everything is so superficial and mechanical and technical. And it's words, but it's, it's empty words. And it's nothing that's real. Nothing that sears into your soul. Nothing that's truly transformational and tr- inspiring inspiring and moving and heartfelt and genuine and something that will change you and it, it bothers you. So if you could be bothered, that means you're still alive. <laughs> that means there's some access, there's some connection, there's a thread, there's something. That's how we experience that level today. <laughs> that means we, we're in touch with that level. It's alive for us. Our faith is alive. Our neshama is alive. Hashem is alive. That's why Mashiach is so central to Yiddishkeit. A Jew who's not into Mashiach, as Maimonides says, a Jew who believes in Mashiach, but he doesn't actively wait and hope and anticipate every moment of the day for Mashiach. The Rambam says he's koifer b'tayras Moshe. He denies the whole Torah of Moshe. Because this is, this is what gives away. This is the moment of truth. Are you truly alive as a Jew? Is your faith alive? Is your connection with Hashem for real? If it bothers you, the lack of that ability to experience that faith in the deepest way, if it bothers you, it means you're alive. It's real. Your Yiddishkeit today is real. And then your Yiddishkeit will, will hasten Mashiach and actually bring Mashiach. But a Yiddishkeit that's completely divorced from any sense of godliness. It's all about my share in the world to come and it's all about my obligations. Yes, whatever Hashem wants of me, I'll do whatever Hashem wants of me. But it's all about laws, rules, obligations. There's zero relationship, zero connection to Hashem. The faith is totally buried and superficial and external. That Yiddishkeit is dead. That Yiddishkeit is not bringing Mashiach. So this is what, this is the connection. This is what tells me everything I need to know. The Altarebbe says this is today in the Golas, in this Golas, especially at this stage of the Golas. 
how do we somewhat, some level, a glimmer of illumination to this innermost part of the heart, a reflection of the future? He says, if we can still feel the Rachman, if we feel what we're lacking, if it bothers us. For in truth, so long as a man does not merit revelation of the light of God from the state of Eitan in the innermost core of his heart, so that he becomes nullified in the divine unity until the very expiry of the soul, then the spark within his soul is indeed to be pitied. For that soul is drawn from the state of the supernal wisdom itself. And when it cannot illuminate from its own state, from the state of Hakma, that is utterly nullified to God, into the innermost core of the heart, which is the proper place for the revelation of this illumination, it is really and truly an exile. For what is exile if not shackling of one of, of one's gift? Through the plentiful supernal mercies, however, that are drawn down upon the soul, it goes out of exile and imprisonment and illuminates the innermost core of the heart with this great love, as is known from the verse, for Jacob who redeemed Abraham, as expounded in Rikite Amarem. The Midrash teaches that Abraham was saved in the future merit of Yaakov, who was destined to descend from him. In spiritual terms, when Abraham's characteristic attribute, kindness and love, remains latent within a Jew, is revealed and redeemed by Jacob's characteristic attribute, mercy. So he's saying, so this is Yaakov comes to the rescue. The attribute of mercy, this is what redeems and reveals Avram, which is a level of love. This is a deep down level of love. But what, how do we redeem it? How do we bring it out of prison, so to speak? How do we bring it out into the open? It's through the attribute of mercy. When we, when we can feel that Rachmanus and we feel the lack and it bothers us and it troubles us and we're crushed and um, this awakens this connects us. This gets us in touch with this level, this deep down level of love, which is embodied by Avram. Avram was a citizen of the future. As the Talmud says, the rabbis say, Bakel Mikol Kol. Hashem gave him a taste of the future. They live. Asan refers to the, the, uh, the, uh, the patriarch. They were Asan. They were the Asanish Avram was Asanish Aloilam. He was the rock of the world. He lived in this love. He was a person of faith. His faith was so alive and real. As a matter of fact, even the word Tanoyim, Tanoyim is Asanim. It's the same word, the Tanoyim. The reason why they were the Tanoyim, they were the foundation of the oral Torah. And the mission of the oral Torah was because they lived in this level. Asanim. They were connected, they were plugged in. Their Yiddishkeit was alive, their Torah was alive, it was godly. And that's why they are the foundation of the oral Torah. So, but how do we access it? Especially in this exile. So on the contrary, the greater the exile, the greater the Rachmanus. The more we feel the lack the stifling oppression of this, of this spiritual state of being that we live in, this superficial, it, it, it just bothers us so much that a Jew can burst out crying. And this is what awakens from within Hashem, awakens the Rachmanus. When it, you know, it says the gates of heaven are shut down after the destruction of the temple. But the gates of tears are never shut. This breaks through all the doors. Alter Rebbe says, the highest level of Teshuvah is crying. The highest level of Teshuvah. There's no lock that can't be un, un, unlocked. When a Jew cries, it's genuine. It's sincere. It's real. Coming from the depth of your being, it's, it's experiential. It's real. It's, 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 you're tapping into, you're touching that place of Asim. It's coming from that place. That's why you're crying, because you feel you're missing something. So you have to know what you're missing. If you wouldn't know what you're missing, you wouldn't have cried in the first place. So it means you're in touch with something real. You're connecting with something that's real. And you're revealing it and expressing it. And this allows, we get a glimpse of that level of love, that level of connection.
then the Yiddishkeit that we do and the learning that we do and the davening that we do and the mitzvahs that we do and the tzedakah that we do is on a whole different level. It's permeated with that living, breathing faith. That's why Hasidim, when they daven, they used to cry during davening. Not crying because uh, a pogrom is coming and I need to... It was a soul-stirring cry. It was a rachmanus of my neshama. Look at where I am. Look at where we were at. I want to see Hashem. I want to come face to face with Hashem. It was real. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.